What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode five of Necessary Evil, the home of the free thinker, an island of skepticism in a sea of quiet masses eager to do as they're told and shame anyone for questioning the official narrative, a desert oasis where coercive power structures are dissected down to what they really are and where the free individual, not the compelled collective, is the most powerful force for good. I've been pleasantly surprised thus far at the reaction to Necessary Evil. It seems like quite a few of you have been harboring some frustration of your own and are starting to realize that, hmm, maybe, just maybe, granting the U.S. Congress a power-hungry, pencil-pushing posse of wannabe thugs, maybe granting them a $750 billion military budget to wreak havoc in the Middle East for 25 years and spur new radicalization by way of intrusion wasn't the best idea. Hmm? Maybe the fact that every single one of my opinions sounds like a recording of Elizabeth Warren or Barack Obama indicates that I'm not as creative as my mommy told me I was. Or maybe I'm not actually fighting the system by voting to make the government bigger. <laughs> I mean, what an incredible paradox. That goes for both sides, by the way. The Republican Party, supposedly the conservative spenders, the budget hawks, for my liberals out there, a budget is a sort of financial agenda to allocate spending to certain areas and is designed to limit the spending. I know that's not your strong suit, but that's okay. We're all safe here. But these ostentatious budget hawks, the Republicans, who campaign on finally dealing with this $24 trillion in debt that we've managed to rack up, have expanded the federal government just as much as the DNC. $24 trillion. I mean, can you even fathom that number? A million seconds ago was a smidge over 12 days. All right, a trillion seconds, 31,700 years. We have a Department of Energy, Department of Transportation, Department of Education, FBI, ATF, NSA, CIA, Homeland Security, a National Health Institute, an FDA, who, by the way, promoted the food pyramid for two freaking decades. Oh, you know, the one that said that the largest portion of your diet should be, what was it? Oh, yeah, bread. Bread. Think that might have played a role in the obesity epidemic that we're seeing now? I mean, for Christ's sake, the National Science Foundation spent 350 grand in 2015 on an experiment to determine if Japanese quail were more sexually promiscuous on cocaine. <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat over here, guys. Please, someone find me the results. I can't even sleep. I'm so anxious to hear about this coke-induced bone sesh that cost over a third of a million dollars of my money. That's, <laughs> that's one of my, I got, the, I got the 2016 omnibus bill here, which is the very bipartisan federal budget. Even your Republican budget hawk buddies like Paul Ryan approved it. Um, so we've got it right here. Let's, let's just scroll down to a couple examples. Uh, we've got <laughs> $15 million promoting international higher education between universities. I mean, how else could Becky spend a semester in Prague, for crying out loud? We've got $5 million for Vietnamese education grants, because no sense in improving American education first. Why get your own house in order when you can screw up the global community? No, they don't want to fix your education, because when you're stupid, you're easier to control. But easy, everyone. We're not getting into that today. Relax. Back to the budget. All right. Uh, $10 million for disadvantaged Egyptian students. Gee, can't imagine why they're disadvantaged. Maybe because they live under a repressive Islamic regime with whom we are more than happy to do business. 
A million dollars for the World Meteorological Organization. Thank God. 65 and sunny out here. You told me to bundle up this morning. Thank God you got a million of my tax dollars. 12 million in military funding in Vietnam. So not only are we paying for them to go to college, we're also paying them to fight. Awesome. $15 million in developmental assistance to China. China, the world's second largest economy. <laughs> this is all public information, by the way. I'm reading right here. Um, here's a good one. Here's one of my favorites. 200 <laughs> $218 million for, you ready for this? Democracy development in Europe. Also known as the literal birthplace of democracy. $218 million. Oh my God. I'm getting nauseous. $961 million to destroy our own chemical weapons. So the government is now paying people to dig a hole, paying people to then fill in said hole, and is robbing you at gunpoint to cover the payroll. Obviously, what I mean here is that the government created these nukes with your money and is now destroying them with your money. <laughs> Can't make this stuff up. Uh, but anyways, let's get away from the budget. Let's get into the issue of the day, which is transgendered athletes playing in women's sports. First things first, some ground rules. We are not at any point having a discussion over whether or not these athletes are men or women. We are never going to agree. The right sees them as men, the left sees them as women. There is no sense in debating something that one side views as subjective and the other side views as objective. We will never reach a mutual conclusion there. What we can discuss are chromosomes. The argument here is whether or not a Y chromosome presents an unfair advantage in physical competition. My stance? Hell yeah. Why? Well, because due solely to my possessing a Y chromosome in every non-sperm cell in my body, my hand is bigger than your face. My sister was a straight-up savage on the volleyball court. She went to Wingate University down near Charlotte, and when she left, she had the all-time records uh, for aces, assists, wins, digs, I believe, and she was like second or third in points at the time. Uh, do you want to know how many of those records she would hold if they let trans athletes compete? Zero. Zero. Not a one. And if you don't believe me, stick around because I got receipts. Listen, I love women's sports. I love them for the purity. There have been thousands of men who have become millionaires as a result of their athletic success. The MLB has a, a minimum major league salary of 600 grand. There's 30 teams with 40 guys, and all of them make 600 grand every single year. The NFL has 32 teams with up to 53 players each. Minimum salary is half a million dollars. The NBA has an average salary of $7.7 .7 million. I mean, the NHL guys get rich. The big soccer guys get rich. The tennis guys, the MMA guys, they all get rich. The big names, at least. Um, I mean, how many women have become wealthy from their sports salaries and tournament winnings? I mean, in 2019, uh, according to Forbes magazine, Venus Williams was tied for the 10th highest paid woman in all of sports at 5.9 million. Remember, I just told you that the average NBA salary is 7.7. .7. 
So she's the 10th highest paid athlete, female athlete in the world, and she's below the average NBA salary. Now, before you get going, don't be coming at me with this wage gap stuff, all right? Because I am not afraid to tell you the truth here, which is that women get paid less because less people buy tickets and jerseys, all right? You can't pay them money that isn't there. But my point is that you have almost no chance of getting rich through women's sports. Now, obviously, you have a very slim chance uh, to get rich as a male athlete, but the chances are still a couple orders of magnitude higher. So these girls play not to sell out arenas or make the front page of the local newspaper. They play because they love the game, and that is beautiful. Sports play, play so many essential roles in childhood and in adolescence as far as teamwork, social skills, the return on investment of hard work and sacrifice, humility, and especially failure. And women's sports have come so far in the last 10 years, and now we're about to introduce a whole new slew of competitors who have effectively been shooting testosterone and HGH ever since puberty, purely because we don't want to get called a transphobe or hurt somebody's feelings. It's unbelievable. We are going to ruin women's sports altogether if we keep this up. And if you don't believe me, here's some examples. Uh, let's take CC Telfer first. This person was the 390th ranked NCAA men's hurdler in 2017. Came out as trans, was able to compete in the women's division, and then in 2019 won the national title for the women's 400-meter hurdles and also third place in the 60-meter hurdles. So we're 390th in the men's, and then wins the national title as a woman. I mean, how do you think that second and third place finisher felt? Or the number 11 who was knocked out of the top 10? Huh? Or the, or the one who just missed the cutoff for national qualifications and had to stay home for the whole weekend? All right, case number two. We have Veronica Ivey, formerly known as Rachel McKinnon, who came out as trans in 2012, and soon after set the world record for the women's 200 meter at the World Indoor Cycling Championship. The world record, cleaned house. I mean, straight up dusted these chicks. Wasn't even close. She actually, <laughs> this is so perfect. McKinnon actually got a PhD in philosophy from the University of Waterloo for her thesis titled, you might wanna sit down for this, on norms of assertion and why you don't need to know what you're talking about. <laughs> They gave this person a damn doctorate for a paper about bullshitting your way through an intelligent conversation. This is your trans activist hero and your women's world record holder for indoor cycling. I mean, she's got to use a men's bike seat so she doesn't crush her ball sack. But damn if she ain't a world champion and a world record holder. Uh, and then here's my favorite, Laurel Hubbard from New Zealand. Hubbard was appointed as the executive officer for Olympic weightlifting, whatever the hell that means. Uh, before transitioning and competing as a female, I only pointed out to claim that he probably got that special approval to compete with the women because of his position of power. So in 2017, at the Australian Open, an international competition, people all over the world, uh, Hubbard wins first place in the heaviest female weight division, imagine that, with a 123-kilogram snatch and a 145-kilogram clean and jerk. Several competitors ran to the press afterwards to claim foul play. Bunch of transphobic sort of losers, that's what they are. Best get back in the gym, Sally. There's a new sheriff in town. And she's got a seven-inch penis. So quit your yapping and start doing roids like a real champ. 
Hubbard wasn't done, by the way. He went on to take two more gold medals at the 2019 Pacific Games in Samoa, another international competition. Um, and the only reason he didn't win the 2018 Commonwealth Games was because he blew out his elbow before the finals as he was leading the field. And then let's get into combat sports. Fallon Fox, the infamous transgender MMA fighter, fought Tamika Brents, a biological woman, in a sanctioned professional fight and cracked her damn skull. She had to get seven stitches in her head because she got her ass kicked by a dude. And you spineless, unprincipled cowards are too scared of getting called a bigot to stand up and say, this ain't right. You should be ashamed of yourself. Men and women are not the same. I don't know how we've gotten to the point that saying that is controversial, but I don't give a damn. All right, I only need five friends and I got about 20. So hate me all you want. I physically could not care less. If I never see or hear from you again, I will be completely unaffected. If anything, I'll be better off. And, you know, it's really an emotional play that the left establishment tries to deploy on you. They know that now you get a chance, you get the opportunity to be at the forefront of the next wave of civil rights. And we've seen how poorly the people not on the side of civil rights are viewed, rightfully so, in the case of blacks, gays, women. So now you can look back and tell your kids, hey, I stood up for the trans community when everyone else thought I was crazy. I led the way. I was the rock that broke that wave, or at least part of it. But do not let your emotion cloud your judgment. Do not let anyone else think for you. Is this fair or is it not? But listen, then again, I'm a libertarian. Not exactly big on rules over here. I am pro-freedom. So if these leagues want to let you play, fine. The players have the freedom to quit. The fans have the freedom to stop buying gear. And the revenue will dry up if public opinion and the unfettered market provide that direction. But again, pro-freedom means that the leagues can also say no. That means the WNBA can say, sorry, we're an XX league, no Y chromosomes allowed. Make your own league if you don't like it. And listen, generally on this podcast, I like to share both sides of the argument, but hey, that's only when I see the other side as being legitimate. And in this case, I do not. So that's all I've got for today. Thanks for joining in. And if you're a first time listener, be sure to check out our earlier episodes so that you can get caught up to speed. And I will see you next time on Necessary Evil, where people are sovereign, where all government measure is enforced by the point of gun, and where state power is in direct conflict with individual liberty. Thanks a lot.